0: I hope you have your coffee or your tea or your big glass of wine ready to go, because today on the show, we are hanging out with the one and only Katie H. Wilcox. Katie is the founder and CEO of Natural Model Management and the incredible platform Healthy is the New Skinny. Using her 15 years of experience in the modeling industry as a curve model, Katie strives to change the game of self-love by approaching the topic of body image from an intellectual viewpoint versus an irrational and emotional one by breaking down the skinny beauty ideal and exposing its origins agenda and harmful effect it is having on society Katie empowers people to choose their health over the beauty ideal implemented by the media and provides the tools needed to create lasting change so Katie and I actually met a few years ago at our mutual friend Jody Guberrovski's home in LA and I remember listening to her speak and thinking, oh, wow, this woman is, I don't even use this word. She is the bomb.com though. And (laughs) I mean, honestly, the number of incredible things that you are doing and just the way that you show up in this world is so inspiring. So thank you for being here today.
1: Well, that was the best intro a girl could ask for. Like, wow. (laughs) It's all true. The world's longest bio. Sorry about that, everybody. But it's sure you get this a lot, too, with all the different things that you do. And then people are like, oh, can you give me a little bio? And I'm like, oh, my gosh. How much time do we have? (laughs) Where do I (laughs) (laughs)
0: Well, you know what, though? You are deserving of a long bio because really the things that you're putting your time and energy behind are so incredible. And not only that, we forgot one of your most important titles. You're a mom of a yeah. beautiful little girl named True
1: Yeah, and when I met you, I she was only two weeks old And I was like, I'm not leaving the house My boobs are leaking I don't have any clothes that fit me and then my husband was like, no, you should go. Like, you just need to, like, get out. So I took a shower for the first time, and I go to this party, and it was so great meeting you and everybody. And just, that was such a great experience, because for those of you listening, like, we literally just had a small group of, there were, what, 15 or 20 women there, yeah. and will just sat around a table and just had, like, open discussions over dinner about interesting topics and what People were passionate about and just like listened and talked and it was such a eye opening experience for me because it's so rare that us as women get to do that, especially outside of our normal friend group to actually have access to different interesting people that we might not come across and to have open dialogue with them was so much fun.
0: So Katie, can you tell people who are listening and who just tuned in a little bit about yourself and your, your amazing journey to where you are right now?
1: Sure. So I was always overweight as a kid. I had a single mom who was going to school for her doctorate working and had my brother, I have a brother that's two years older than me. So, you know, we were kind of not well off, obviously. So we ate how I think a lot of Americans eat, which was the mac and cheese and the hot dogs and all the kids' food that, that was accessible that was super cheap because that's all we could afford. So didn't grow up in a home that knew, not only didn't have an education based in health, but it was just, you know, That's a privilege, as we've talked about so often. And when you don't have the means to afford that education on top of the actual product and food itself, it led me to being very unhealthy. And so when I got into sports, That was the first time that I was actually moving and having, you know, a more of like a positive relationship with being around girls that were built like me, being taller and my size was more of an asset to be like big and strong was cool. And you're like, Oh, okay, cool. I found my people because everyone here is tall and everyone here, I wish I was taller. I want to jump higher. And so it kind of was the first time I shifted that mentality of, Oh, being big is bad. Like, I think if you're tall as a girl, or you have any size to it all growing up, like you get that label as big and you're taught very young that big is bad and that smaller is better. So it's not even always a conscious thing. It's just a societal thing that we all pick up on from a young age. So that's kind of that process. I was an athlete. I was still not eating well. I was still falling prey to the outside of the realm of athletics. You know, the pressure on girls to not only be a good athlete, but to be the hot athlete and playing volleyball, being a senior in high school and the uniforms went to uh, 100 percent spandex shorts and top It used to be like a baggy T-shirt with spandex shorts. Then it went to spandex tops and booty shorts. And for me, being like having a big chest and like it was just very uncomfortable to have to wear like two sports bras and be in basically a swimsuit in front of everyone playing your sport, you know. So there's a lot of like stuff that I think triggers body image across the spectrum for girls. And for me, sports was definitely something that contributed to it. So then jump to college. So I got scouted at the very end of high school to be a plus size model. I was at a volleyball tournament and I didn't know what that was, but they, you know, they were like, oh, you'd be great for plus size. And I was probably a size 10, 12. I'm like the size I am now at five foot nine. And I was fit because I was working out, you know, multiple hours a day. So when they said, oh, you'd be great for plus size. I was like, did you just call me fat? Like that's any <laughs> high school girl is going to interpret that as, oh, you're the fat model. That was the understanding of what that was at that time because there were wasn't really a market for it yet. There was just a few, and I say with quotes, air quotes, moms. <laughs> they actually would just take moms and like put them in moo-moos, not do their hair and makeup, and that was the plus size model, you know. So when I saw that as a 17-year-old, I was like, what the hell? No, absolutely not. This is so embarrassing. You know, that silly mentality we have where everything's – you're so worried about what everyone else is going to think. And then I ended up booking a modeling job for Nordstrom. had never had a photo taken yet. I haven't even had a test shoot or anything. It was off of a Polaroid I had at the modeling agency office. And it was like $2,000 to go do this photo shoot. And I was wow. working retail and I was like, what? You can call me whatever you want. If you want to put <laughs> like a mustache on me, I will do, you, you say jump, I'll jump $2,000 and I don't have to work this shitty job. Yes. So that's honestly like was my approach to it. And I just was like, whatever, I don't care. I'll totally go do this. And then I decided to go to New York after school and signed with like a big agency there and went to art school. I went to the School of Visual Arts. And that was also an interesting time and one that I'm like very passionate about talking about now because I think our perception of what the college experience is going to be for women in the, you know, what it's portrayed in the movies (laughs) is red solo cups and parties at mansions and cute boys and you have so much fun with your girlfriends. And the reality is just so not that And it's very isolating. It's hard to meet friends. I was in a whole new environment. I was also working in like a modeling industry that was not nice people. They didn't care about you and your feelings. (laughs) They're like, yeah, you moved here because you needed to. We'll call you if we have something for you. And I'm 17, you know, so it was just a very hard time for me where I was depressed. And my dream of what I thought was going to be was definitely not happening in the way that I had anticipated. And that that's a loss. And you have to deal with that. You're away from your family, you're away from your friends, on top of not playing sports. So I gained the freshman like 30, 25 to 30, very quickly. And then I was getting rewarded for it. You know, I went into the modeling agency at that point and I'm like, Oh, you're the perfect size now. When you had gained weight. Interesting. Yes. So this was my first reality check in this business where I was like, wait a minute. I am not happy. I'm depressed. I don't have any friends. No one here is like even acknowledge my presence. <laughs> and I've gained this weight that I'm like really uncomfortable about because it is too much on my frame And now you guys are telling me like, oh, I'm perfect. I need to stay like this because this is what the clients want. Like, I had never had that happen to me before. And your drive to want to work and to please people as women, we have that already. And that's kind of been our program of, oh, okay, like do this to make you happy. Okay, I'll change myself for you. Like, that's kind of what we've been taught. So I was all right. And I had that mentality of, oh, well, this is what size I'm supposed to be. And I kind of used that to mask how I wasn't comfortable with it. But on top of the fact I started making a lot of money and I started traveling and working in Germany and doing all of these things because of this extra weight that I had gained. And that was how I started this whole entire thing because I got to a point where now I'm I'm working and doing the things I thought I wanted, but I'm lonely, I'm isolated, I'm traveling alone <laughs> to these places to work with people who don't speak English.
0: over. It sounds so glamorous when you look at it from an outside perspective. And I'm sure if it was social media around at that time, was that a thing? No,
1: there was no, not yet.
0: If it was, it would have looked like the ultimate glamorous job. But what people don't realize is when you go to do these well, I can't speak to the modeling gigs, but speaking engagements or whatever it is. Often you are the only person in the room. No one's talking to you. It's so isolating. You go back to your hotel room at the end of the night. It's not like
1: you're out at parties. You're by yourself. It's like, and at that time, you know, there wasn't even FaceTime or anything like that. So it was literally you were by yourself and maybe call your mom for two seconds because it was expensive, you know? Right.
0: And what I'm finding so fascinating about your story is that I sometimes think there's this perception with the plus size modeling world that it's accepting of women in their natural size and as they are naturally. But it's really sounding to me like there's just as much expectation around what your body looks like in that industry
1: as in the regular modeling industry. 1000%. And it's a little bit better now. But at this time was when this whole industry was just beginning. So it was either you are five foot nine and height was really important. You couldn't be any shorter than me. And so a five, nine to six foot, basically, and you had to be a size 14 or 16. And that was like it. And so You know, if you started to get too small, you'd lose all your jobs, which is exactly what happened to me. So once I started to realize and had that kind of aha moment that, oh, my gosh, my dream is not what I thought it was. And I don't know if anyone listening has had this happen where you work really, really hard for something and you accomplish it almost to be let down because it's not what you thought. It didn't have the fulfillment you were hoping to have, even though it was a dream of yours. And then I started to really think about that. And I'm like, well, where did this dream come from? Because authentic dreams that are based in purpose, or a connection do bring you fulfillment. They're not hollow when you achieve them, or you experience them. And so I think, you know, that was the first time I realized that that dream wasn't really mine. Like I had just adopted it or accepted it. And I started to question that more to go, okay, well, when did I ever want to be a model? Why was this even something that I would want to do. And it was really America's Next Top Model was that was when it came out was when I was in high school. And it basically brainwashed my whole generation to think that they could be models. You know, when you think about the manipulation that went into that, because again, there wasn't social media at that time, reality shows were just starting. And to target young girls with this scripted, totally played out idea that we're going to take a normal girl off the street and now she has this transformation story and she's chosen and she's special and now she's a top model, right? Like, that was so manipulative because every girl hopes to be chosen. Like it's so connected with our concept of being chosen, of being asked to a dance or being chosen to be on a sports team or a cheerleading team or being chosen by a guy to ask to marry you. Like our whole lives have been set up to be like, okay, we're supposed to sit here. And then if we're good enough, someone will see us one day and choose us to be something special. Right. So we all bought into that hook, line and sinker. <laughs> and it's funny because I just happened to fit some small aspect of what the industry happened to be looking for. I'm no different than any other girl that felt the same thing. You know, it was just a weird genetic fit that they were looking for my DNA that actually matched up to like some small spectrum of what their idea of beauty was. So I'm no different than anyone else that fell prey to this manipulation. So I started to want to be healthier. And at that time, I met Bradford, my husband. I was working in LA, a job and a friend of mine was like, "Oh, come to this company Christmas party with me." And I was like, "Oh, that sounds awful. No, I don't want to do that." And she's like, <laughs> "Please, I don't want to go either." I was like, "Okay, fine." And he went with his friend, and you know, we saw each other, and he we started talking right away. It was like we've known each other forever, and we've been together ever since. And that I met Brad at my largest size. So I use that in like my talks and presentations because at that time for me, I was very at a low place in just my self-esteem in general. Like I was not satisfied with where my life was going. I was confused with what I wanted. I wasn't happy with my size. I didn't have the tools to like create a healthy change in my life because I didn't have the education behind what to eat, how to cook. I didn't even know how to work out on my own because I had always worked out in a team. So when it was just me, I was like, I don't know what to do. So it was like a hard time. And when I met him, he was just like, oh, I think you're like the most gorgeous girl I've ever seen. And I was like, can I tell you I love you? Like, and we were laughing and joking (laughs) and we're both drinking Diet Cokes. And we're like, well, this is weird. He's from Missouri and I'm from Wyoming. And his background was in personal training. And so, of course, that makes me insecure even more because I'm like, oh, well, I'm so fat right now. Like in my mind, he's like, I think you look great, but what are your goals? Like it's all just about learning how your body functions and what works for you. And his approach was just so nice. And I was like, oh, okay. And he's like, you shouldn't even worry about weight. Honestly, it's just about doing things that make you feel good each day. And when we would hang out, like he's a very active person. So it was, let's go on a hike or let's go do these things outside. And I didn't grow up in a house like that. So that was so different for me cuz my you know my mom worked all the time and so she wanted to do nothing when she wasn't working not go out so i was like whoa this is weird i actually like this i've never tried this before and you know it was just more getting that natural like movement started and i lost like 20 pounds just from being happy and hanging out with him and us just being active and having fun And I was like, well, this is weird that my body is having like a total reaction to this shift. There's something shifted and I didn't even start dieting or anything like that. So those were all like great indicators that started to teach me at these pivotal moments of where your life kind of goes down different paths. Call it a program interrupt. Is it just... For me, crossing paths with Brad was like an interrupt to the way I had been thinking about myself, about like what I'm capable of, about life, of all of those things. And I think that all of us have those people or situations that do the exact same thing. They challenge us to think differently about ourselves. And that's a very powerful thing that can happen. So for me, that was that moment. And from there, it just kind of evolved to this place where I was feeling good. I lost 50 pounds. I then lost all of my modeling jobs because I was too small for plus size now and I was too big for straight size. And I got to the point where I just was like, I can't take it anymore. Like I just can't do this where I was doing a meal delivery service like 1500 calories, doing two spin classes a day, got down to a size six to try to do more commercial stuff. Because again, people have to remember, I had to drop out of school to do this work. And this is all I had done for most of my adult life at this point. So when you put girls in that position, they're going to do the extra things that are necessary to get their bodies to conform to the standards that are being set for them. Regardless of if that's gain 50 pounds or lose 50 pounds, you're putting them in a position to choose between their livelihood and quote unquote their dream because some girls are just at that stage. And that's how easily manipulated we are into making those decisions where we put our health and our wellness behind the pursuit of opportunity for money and for the dream that comes with all of this. So that's where I went. I would, I licked frosting off a baking sheet and cried in my kitchen at my smallest (sighs) size ever. And I was like, who the fuck am I? Like, it was like, I was living in the twilight zone because it's just not me. I'm the person that said that I would never be like this. How am I that way? What has happened to me? And that's when I just was like, I'm out. I hate this industry. I hate what it's made me become. I can't deal with the fact that all of these girls look up to models who hate themselves and then they hate themselves and all of these women suffer. This makes no sense to me that we all lose. And I was like, I quit. I was like, screw this. I'm out. And I was talking with Brad about it. And he's like, look, you can quit. But you also have to look at where you're at in your story and like this whole opportunity. Like you have nothing to lose. You've already lost all your clients. You have nothing to lose by talking about it. And I was like, you're right. And he's like, and if you just quit, you can do that too. That's an option. But who's going to like help change it if you just quit? yes, Bradford, you're right. (sighs) I was like, you're so right. And then that kind of ignited that fire side of me. Instead of being a victim, it like kind of reconnected me to that warrior side where I was like, yeah, who is going to change this bullshit? (laughs) And that's when it all started. That was exactly when I came up with what needs to change. And you really had to identify like, where's the problem? Well, the problem is, you know, no matter what size women are, in this industry, they still want them to be skinnier and skinnier and skinnier. Like I would meet these models and you're a naturally thin person. I would meet people that are built like you. And regardless of how small they were, the agency would still say, okay, great. If you could lose five more. And I'm looking at this person and I'm like, from where, where in the hell (laughs) is this person supposed to lose? It baffled me because I'm just a big frame person. So I'm looking at a tiny person that they're still telling they need to lose weight. And I'm like, this is just insane. It should be about being healthy. And that's what sparked the idea. I was like, we should be setting up girls to be successful and have role models that are all different so that they can be their healthy size, not continue to keep losing weight into all of these eating disorders and drug problems and, you know, low self-esteem. And that was when Healthy as a New Skinny was created. It really started from being a champion for the straight size girls because they were all being told they were fat and they needed to lose weight. And I was like, no, that's so wrong. And then I used that for myself as well when it came to my healing process to say, okay, I need to get out of that brainwashing mode of like smaller, smaller, smaller. And every time I did that, that was like my thought that I was like, okay, no, it's about health. If I make choices to be skinny or I make choices to be healthy, they're very different choices. So it was about me analyzing that root intention and the choices that I was making behind that intention. So that's how I got off of that really toxic mentality and like obsession with being smaller and losing weight and all of that. And I started to shift back into just finding my natural healthy size and my natural frame and accepting what my natural frame is and then being optimal in that space to say, okay, I'm like my strongest self when I'm lifting weights and I'm 160 pounds and I feel great and I still can live like a normal human being. And this is where I want to be. And that's when all of these other things presented itself was from finally reaching that place.
0: Do you find that there are still parts of this industry that affect you as a model because you've continued to model and you now have your own agency, Natural Model Management, where especially I feel like this conversation around anti-aging and the accessibility of things like Botox, do you ever feel pressure still to kind of remain presentable according to media standards.
1: Yeah, of course. And I think that that's, you know, this is the other side of that coin. Like we can do all of our work, but we still live in our culture, right? (laughs) It's impossible. Like if we all lived on a compound of hippies and we all grew our food and we helped each other, I don't think any of us would be like, I really need that Botox. So it's a result of our culture and our environment. And we are going to have those ideas about ourselves. And I don't necessarily think we need to judge them either. Like I'm not even against plastic surgery because to me, it's the same as if you want to go get tattoos or you want to like have blonde hair or you want to dress a certain way. I think how you identify your physical self in the world is important because it is a big part of how you communicate who you are and it's okay to do certain things. I think that's where we tend to sit on our high horse sometimes as women of. You know, we all feel those way too. But if we see someone else who went and got plastic surgery, we're like, they went and did it, you know, we're the judge and jury. But at the same time, we really have to look at it go, well, what if someone has a really large nose that it makes them very insecure and it's abnormally large for their face? And so they get a nose job that makes them walk around and feel better each day. Like, why do I care what someone else is doing in that regard? I don't think someone should operate from that space. But at the same time, it shouldn't really be up to me. Like, I think that's everyone's personal journey to say, are you doing this because you think your life's going to be better afterwards? Or are you doing this because you're going to have more job opportunities, which is very real for women in media? You really can't age. That's just a very real thing. But that needs to change. And it's something I'm thinking about a lot in my position.
0: And I'm going to tell a story. I've never told this (laughs) to anyone except for like maybe five of my best girlfriends. I talk about this stuff as well and understand the reality behind advertising and the pressures to be thin and i've gone through my own experience in high school with an eating disorder and losing all the weight and feeling the most empty, depressed and unhappy that i could possibly feel at the lowest weight recognizing that that's not where you find self-love etc cetera, etc cetera. and i've spent and dedicated my life to talking about this but i still have moments where I feel the pressure and I remember I I had James and he was still breastfeeding and I looked at myself in the mirror one day and was like, "Oh my god, I'm a shell of my former self. I look so tired. My face looks like I just, you know, had one of those those moments as a mom where you're like, what happened to my old self?" And so I I booked my appointment to go get some Botox and I hadn't done it before, but I was just was really having a moment of low self-esteem. So So I booked in and I went in, I was so nervous. And I was like, I hope nobody sees me because I have to feel so guilty about this. And I went into the office and I rolled my stroller into this tiny spot and I jumped up on the doctor's thing and James got hungry. So I pulled up my boob and started to feed him. And this doctor walked in, he was gorgeous. Perfect. I don't know. Looks like he was off of a TV show (laughs) and he's so you're breastfeeding. And I was like, "Yep." And he was you know that we can't do Botox while you're breastfeeding. And I just went so red and was, oh my God, I wasn't even thinking like, of course I can't do Botox while I'm breastfeeding. What? Oh my God. And so he's like, you can come back when you're finished. And I sheepishly walked out. So I never ended up getting it, but the pressure is real and it's constant That even when you understand, it's still so easy to kind of get caught up in it in the moment. But what you said is is so important that true happiness and feelings of love and creative expression will never be found in those things, I don't believe.
1: I don't think so either. But at the same time. I think if you're already, like, a sound, solid person, I don't think if you're like, hey, I'm just going to get a little Botox so I don't look so tired, it takes away from that either. Like, that's what I'm saying. We kind of have a view of all of this as, like, all or nothing, but we have very different interpretations of, okay, well, makeup's okay, though, but not Botox. And hair color's okay, but not you know, this or that. We're trying to make rules about certain things to make us feel better about it. But really, it's all the same thing. And so I think it's like each person going, hey, what works for you? I know people that are secure, confident people who have gotten stuff done, like I know someone in my family, like I said, who got a nose job because she had a really large nose and she's like so much happier about it. Do you know what I mean? It helps her walk around each day. I just think that whatever works for you and I've been in the same place and I go back and forth with it all the time like you have and I've definitely gotten Botox before and Personally, I love when I get it because it helps my brow, like have a very heavy brow. And so whenever I work jobs, they're like, open your eyes, Katie, open your eyes. And I'm like, my eyes are open. When I smile, my eyes go to slants. And they're literally like, Katie, can you open your eyes more? And I'm like, oh my god, my eyes are freaking open. So you know, sometimes (laughs) I do that because if I have to lift my eyebrows up, then I look like I'm lifting my eyebrows up. So I've gotten those things before that I'm like, okay, this helps to where I still have wrinkles and I still move my face, but it helps me to people not go, Katie, open your eyes more, open your eyes more. But then I've got, you know, when I had true, I didn't have anything for like two years, same thing. And then I, I get to that point where I go back and I go, I'm teetering with it because there's a side of me that really would love to just age right? And just enjoy it and be like a wrinkly, cool looking wizard. Like I tell everyone that. Yeah. I'm like That's part of like how I see myself when I'm older is wrinkly with long white hair and wearing leopard print and rings on every finger and being this like weird wizard. And that cool old lady, there's so much beauty in that too. But there's almost like the transition in the middle phase, that's the hard part, right? Where you're losing your beauty. And I don't think people talk about this enough to say, we've been raised our whole lives to be beautiful. And for the girls that are born not beautiful, what we tell them is you need to be like the pretty girls, right? And the girls that are born beautiful, we say, hey, this is all you're good for. So again, we all we all kind of suffer. We all kind of lose because none of us are just here to be pretty, but we are ingrained with that deep belief. So if we have Reached that level, like if you have been a model or you have been in entertainment or you have been the quote unquote pretty girl or whatever, it is a part of your identity, right? Not on purpose, it just really is. And as you start to lose that, which we all are going to lose that, that's the hardest part, right? It's like, oh my God, it's this fear of losing the way that the world sees you. And this, you're like clinging to this identity and not conscious about that as well to say, I don't know where it's going to go. Like I look in the mirror now and I'm seeing the things that my mom would complain about, like her neck. I'm like, Oh my God, I'm totally going to have that turkey gobble neck. (laughs) You know what I mean? And, And people are like, you're insane. No one else sees it, but me. I don't know how we navigate it. Maybe we just feel it and let ourselves feel it, you know, or maybe this conversation of talking about it is, Oh wow. Then I feel like I'm not the only one And if we can talk about it and have that open forum to figure out what does work for us, and maybe that is if you want to get a little bit of work done to feel better, cool. Like if not, and you've chosen to go the natural route, like that's celebrated too. Instead of us judging each other and feeling pressure from each other's choices, we all just feel more empowered to tune into what feels right for us.
0: Yes. And to accept that everyone is on a different path, living their own life, and that it's not Our story. And and I do think it is having conversation about it because you're exactly right. There is this sort of celebration for women who are more mature and aged. And then there's the celebration of women who are super young. And now you're even seeing women like Jennifer Aniston and Madonna who are like in their fifties and sixties now. And they look, they look way hotter than I do. I'm 34. (laughs) People just aren't aging. It's like we miss that middle where things start to change and shift. And that can make you feel really alone and isolated.
1: But I would say this too. I think, you know, what we see of those people is just the glossed image, right? Like, we're not seeing them in the hotel bathroom light when they've just rolled out of bed, like we see ourselves. And we're like, Oh, Jesus, like, what the hell happened to me? I've lost it. You know, we don't see those people (laughs) in those moments, or else I'm sure we would say the same thing. Bradford and I had a photo studio in Hollywood for a long time. And there were a lot of celebrities that would come in there and they would make rules that no one was allowed to come in, like no videographers for the photo shoot or whatever it was they're doing. They weren't even allowed to come into the studio until they had hair and makeup done because they didn't want anyone to sneak a photo of them looking like a normal person. I heard this on You're Gonna Die. I listened to a Dr. Phil podcast, and I tell everyone about this, and they're like, really, Dr. Phil? And I'm like, no, I swear, he's (laughs) really great. His podcast is awesome. He paraphrased what I try to teach so well that I've been using it, because I'm like, this is just perfect. So he explains it like this. Everybody has a personal truth. And that's just how you feel about yourself when you're left with yourself. It's the real your real self esteem. And most of us have a damaged personal truth because of childhood traumas, because of failures, because of lost relationships, all of the things that are struggles in our lives can really damage our personal truth. And you said the problem is people are comparing their damaged personal truth with other social masks. And that's what we're doing when we look at these celebrities, you know? Like, we're comparing our reality with their social mask. And it's been so normal for us to do that. And it's so normal for this, like, next generation that grew up on social media. That's all they've ever known is to compare their damaged personal truth with everyone else's highlight reel. And so it's just creating this really false reality that, like I said, if Madonna... And Jennifer Aniston and you and me and five other women had to like show up first thing in the morning with no makeup on wearing the same thing and stand there and all get our picture taken. I mean, we would probably be a lot more similar than different. A hundred percent. That's why we started the Raw Beauty Talks
0: interview series in 2014 was to show those images behind the scenes that aren't always Shown in media, and you did one of those interviews, which we'll link to in the show notes with Baby True. And
1: And I had gingivitis from being pregnant, so that was fun. (laughs) Oh, you looked beautiful. And I
0: think your message is so, so important. And I I applaud you for getting it out there in the world uh, while you're in this industry and for being that voice and that representation of what it means to sort of leave behind what society expects of you and to just truly follow your heart and to follow what feels right. And I think you do that so well. We are going to make sure that in the show notes, we include all of the wonderful projects that you're up to. Is there anything else sort of coming up for you? What are you working on right now? What is your focus for the next 365 days?
1: Yeah. So what I've been doing right now, I've been traveling and speaking at universities. So this month I'm speaking at four different ones. So I had two already. I did Syracuse University and then Jacksonville State University in Alabama, which were two very different cultures. And I have Utah State University coming up this week and then Texas Christian next week. So one of the things that I really, you know, we've talked briefly about was like, I think as you go through when you have like a message and you're sharing your journey. Well as time goes by like you really heal a lot of the things you're working on because you're you're so engulfed in everything about it and you're really learning and taking it in and sharing that eventually it comes to a point where you kind of graduate out of that and into something else. And that's kind of what happened with me and Healthy as a New Skinny. I really was like, "Oh, we got to go deeper and we got to go to these other things." So right now what I'm really focused on is female leadership for the younger age demographic because the low self-esteem and the pressure to conform and to get approval from everyone else is really stunting their ability to be strong female leaders. So we're going to them and we're saying, we want more women in our government. We want more female CEOs. We want more female leaders in all across the spectrum of equality. But I'm telling you right now, I'm going to these college campuses and I'm meeting with different female leadership groups and I can't even get them to engage And share their opinions and like have debates and dialogue on these topics that they're volunteering to come to. That's a concern that we should all be paying attention to as women to say, wow, like this is our next generation of leaders. But we're not really doing our part in helping cultivate an environment that's going to foster good leaders. We're not doing that. So, how are we expecting them to say, we're setting them up? To go, okay, we're going to place you in an environment that has toxic masculinity. You started out on this journey with low self-esteem in your teen years. And there's a lot of data to support this. That teenage girls that are sexually active younger have lower self-esteem. And teenage boys that are sexually active younger have higher self-esteem. So we're literally starting out girls with low self-esteem having sex with high self-esteem boys. Transitioning that into the college age range where that's magnified, where guys' testosterone is like a level 100, girls' self esteem is like a level zero. And you're having these really traumatic experiences when it comes to sex, when it comes to relationships, you're having depression and low self esteem. All of these things are just attacking young women <laughs> and no one's stepping in to go, whoa, whoa, whoa this isn't okay. What are we doing here to make sure that this environment is safer for them? Like, who, where are the other female mentors coming in and going, hey, this happened to me and this isn't okay? For example, one thing I found out recently was that for sororities, sororities, the rule across for all sororities is they're not allowed to have alcohol in their houses, but fraternities are. And I was like, wait a minute. Please explain to me how that makes any sense whatsoever. One of our models was in a sorority, and the fraternity had 17 allegations of sexual misconduct. 17. Oh, my God. And nothing was done about it. They are allowed to have alcohol in their home, but the sororities aren't. So we're putting girls in positions to be victimized, and... And this is a rule from like how many years ago? It's like totally a chauvinistic, ridiculous, outdated rule. So my question to these girls is like, well, how does that make you feel? And they're like, if we could have the alcohol, we got to choose who comes into our house. Exactly. Yes. So w- why aren't you guys petitioning to change this rule? And I like ask them these questions. Well, the older ladies that are on the council, like their views are very old fashioned and this and that. I said, all I'm picturing are like old pageant queens, like Southern pageant queens. They're so like, yeah, basically. And I go, okay, well, what? pageant queens hate more than anything, people judging them. So if you guys bring a big enough case to this and bring enough attention to it, they're going to change it because they don't want people judging them. These are the things that I bring to these girls and they're like, oh my God, why am I the first one ever acknowledging this or even speaking to them in this way? That's alarming to me.
0: Well, thank you for doing that because yeah. I think what we need is more more mentors, more leaders who are connecting with that group in this really pivotal time of their life and exactly. showing them how to use their voice, how to stand up for something that they believe in because I think that is also where we start to breed
1: self-esteem. Absolutely. And there's a study that I just read that I've been sharing with these girls on college-age self-esteem. So they were saying that college-age girls that place most of their value on their physical appearance, the approval of their peers and on their academic scores, experience higher amounts of stress, anger, poor relationships, excessive alcohol and possible drug use and eating disorders. And I was like, this is exactly the three main things that all of these girls are struggling with that are causing the reaction, which is all of those negative emotions and feelings and issues. And again, we're not, Acknowledging it, but that study also brought in such a great idea and and just like our whole issue, which is they said we firmly believe that if these girls and students in general that struggle with this can have a goal that is greater than themselves, they will be much more inclined to deal with some of the social pressure. And I was like, exactly. So that's my goal right now. From each school, I ask the girls because there's always a group that stay after. And those are the ones I want. I know I'm there to speak to the 200, but it's the 20 that stay after. Then I'm like, you guys are the ones that are going to change stuff. So I've been really working with them. We made like a private Facebook group. And I asked them to share some videos of their experience, like what it's really been like, not the movie version, but the real life version. So they did that. And I showed their videos to the next school. And I've been doing that each time time. And our goal is, I said, what if we do something crazy? And I showed them that Nike commercial about show them how crazy can be. And I was like, what if we do something crazy? And we make very bold statements about what you guys deserve on campus. What if we raise money for a billboard? And they were like, oh my God, like you could hear them all like, oh my God. Yeah. I was like, that's not a crazy idea. They're like 3000 bucks. Like we could all chip in and get that very easily. And I'm like, what would it say? What would you want to say? And so that's our goal is I'm getting all of these girls together and we're going to do a like Kickstarter to start with one billboard on a campus and see how much we can raise to get like more billboards and to just like really teach them that they have to participate in life. You can't make other people respect you or hear you or care about you. It's not their job. You have to care about you and you have to demand that from people. And if they're not going to, then you need to not be around those people. Like these are like basic skills that we need to be teaching them. But instead of focusing on talked about affirmations in the mirror, which don't work, let's teach them to have a voice. Let's teach them to focus on something greater than themselves to really get the validation from participating in the world in a meaningful way and see what that can spark. Instead of just let's just focus on our bodies and trying to like them like that doesn't get us anywhere. So boom, those are the goals we have right now. And we uh, anyone listening, please stay tuned because we would love your support. And the main thing for me is that this is has to come from the students. And I told them that I said, I have resources. I will make them available to you, but I'm not going to do this for you. This has to come from you. It has to be your project in your passion. Otherwise, it won't work. So that's something that we're helping. And if anyone listening, if there are people that would love to be mentors and jump into this Facebook group and really like start to help give these girls that confidence, we can make that happen too. I
0: love that. And I just want to wrap this all together by asking anybody who's listening to just take a moment to consider how you can use your voice in the world to say something louder than the way that you look. How can you put your message out in regards to anything that you're passionate about or that you care about to make a statement And to make a difference because we all have that power, whether you're in university or whether you're 14 years old listening to this or whether you're 60 years old listening to this. I really, truly believe that when we start to use our voice for the things that we care about, the things that light us up and the things that we're passionate about, we step into our power in a way larger way than we will ever be able to accomplish by just focusing on something as small as the way that we look. So Katie, thank you for being here today and for carving out time in your schedule. It means the world to have you here. And I can't wait to see everything that pours out of your heart in the year. To come. Thank you for having me. I loved it. Anytime. That's it for this episode, but be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss a single show. Simply search for Raw Beauty Talks on iTunes and click subscribe. If you like this episode, take a screenshot and share it on social tagging at Raw Beauty Talks. We'll be regramming your posts every week. Last but not least, don't forget to visit our website at rawbeauty.co to get your free handout, which summarizes all the key notes and takeaways from this episode. As we wrap things up, remember... Your body is different than any other body out there. So, as you listen to these episodes, it's important to keep tuning back into yourself to see what really resonates for you. Above all else, remember you are worthy, you are beautiful, and you are not alone on this incredible journey called life. Do you ever feel like you're struggling through motherhood? You're not alone. I'm Erica Jossa, host of the MomWell podcast, therapist and mom of three. Join me each Wednesday as I sit down with guests, including psychologists, pediatricians, psychiatrists, fertility specialists, lactation consultants, and more to unravel the myths of motherhood. With expert advice, practical tips, self-love, and some coping skills to help you along the way, you can become the mother you want to be. Listen to the MomWell podcast at momwell.com listen or on your favorite podcast platform.